0: Welcome to PCA One On One, Positive Coaching Alliance's podcast series, where we talk with leading experts about how to develop better athletes, better people through sports. And now here's your host, Jim Thompson, PCA founder and CEO.
1: This is Jim Thompson, founder of Positive Coaching Alliance, and I'm thrilled that today's PCA One On One interview is with Steve Kerr. Many of you know Steve as an outstanding basketball analyst for TNT. Uh, who's paired up often with Marv Albert. In addition to his broadcast career, Steve served as the general manager of the Phoenix Suns. As a player, he was a winner at every level, uh, played for five NBA championship teams, and uh, helped uh, the University of Arizona make it to the Final Four. Um, Also is a sports parent whose daughter, Maddie, plays volleyball at Cal and whose son, Nick, plays basketball at the University of San Diego, and he's also a member of Positive Coaching Alliance's National Advisory Board. Steve, thanks for joining me today.
0: Yeah, thanks, Jim. Thanks for having me.
1: So um, first, I want to ask about a a little-known part of your history. When you were in um, Spokane, Washington, and were matched up against John Stockton, you were... uh, (laughs) you were being looked at as a, uh, a potential scholarship player for Gonzaga. And can you just tell us what happened there?
0: Yeah, I went on a, a recruiting visit. It was my one official uh, recruiting visit that, uh, that I actually had my senior year of high school. Uh, nobody else recruited me, but Gonzaga was interested and they invited me to go up and they said, Hey, bring your shoes. And, uh, I wasn't thinking anything of it. I thought maybe I was going to get a chance to shoot around a little bit. And he said, well, we're going to play some some pickup ball today, and you know, why don't you jump in there? So I I jumped in, and I happened to be guarding uh, a senior who had just finished uh, his final season at Gonzaga, a guy named John Stockton, who I had heard of, but you know not, not like I had seen him play a whole lot. I had read about him a little bit, but I knew he was supposed to be pretty good. And over the next hour uh he proceeded to absolutely destroy me, and with the coaches watching, they, that made their decision pretty easy, and they said, well, thanks anyway. Thanks for coming. We're not going to offer you a scholarship.
1: <laughs> you know, um, we uh, we have a concept called a triple impact competitor, someone who makes himself better, makes her teammates better, and makes the game better. And resilience is a big part of being a triple impact competitor. And there's a story we tell uh, about a Chinese farmer who um, he has one horse to help him with his uh, work. And um, one day his son leaves the gate open and the the horse runs away and the son goes to the father and says, oh, I'm so sorry, that's the worst thing that could happen. And the father says, "Uh, how do you know that? The next day, the horse comes back leading five other horses. So now he has six horses, and the the son says, wow, this is the best thing that could happen. And the father says, how do you know that? And the next day, the son is breaking one of the horses, and he gets kicked off, and he breaks his shoulder, and he says, oh, this is a terrible thing. How do do you know that? The next day, the emperor's army comes through, and they take all the healthy young men for the army, but they don't take this kid. And we use that story to say that you often don't know... um, whether something's good or bad, and, and actually what happened with uh, John Stockton turned out to be pretty good for you. How did that, how did that work out?
0: Well, he turned out to be <laughs> great for me because uh, by not going to Gonzaga, I ended up at Arizona. Uh, I never would have made the NBA had I not been a part of that program uh, because of the success we had, because of the talent that I played with. Uh, I was able to get a lot of notoriety. I planned for a great coach in Lute Olsen, and it all worked out perfectly. Uh, on top of that, there was a motivating force, too. I mean, I you know, nobody knew John Stockton was going to become one of the greatest point guards of all time. I think everybody knew he was pretty good. But uh, for me, it was very humbling, and it made me work harder and probably got me more prepared. So, yeah, I mean, I, I agree with uh, the premise of that story and and you know what I always think of it, I, I grew up a, a UCLA fan, a, a ball boy, my dad being a professor uh, at UCLA and I was a big John Wooden fan and one of my favorite Wooden quotes is things work out best for, for those who make the best of the way things work out. <laughs> Which <laughs> That's is a great it, it's it's a great line. It's 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 so true. I mean who knows what's gonna happen in life, but you kinda just have to roll with it and keep moving forward.
1: Yeah, and great example of that. So this triple impact competitor idea is uh you know, the second level of that is making teammates better. Um how did you make your teammates better? Did did you consciously think about ways to make the, the, the guys you were playing with high school, college pros better?
0: I never consciously thought of it um that way. I never felt like I was talented enough to make other players better. I was Kind of thought of that concept as, you know, Michael Jordan drawing a double team and passing to the open man and Michael in that way making that teammate better. Um, but what I realized kind of after I retired and after I went through everything was that every player has the ability to make his teammates better, and regardless of ability. Uh, could be if you're the 12th man just practicing as hard as you can and making the guy who you're going against work um, compete against him every day and make him get better it could be rebounding for a teammate could be inspiring him with you know some motivation or, or helping him out in a time of need uh, but that's the beauty of the sport that's why I love basketball it really is 12 guys and everybody has a role and you know some players have a more important role but but it really is about the chemistry and the camaraderie and all the pieces fitting together. And every player has a choice to make. And, and it's really when you cut right to the chase, I think every player can figure out pretty easily the choice. Are, are you going to do what's best for the team or are you going to do what's best for yourself? And when you start making the decision... To do what's best for the team then it's amazing inevitably it ends up helping you even more and that's that's the concept that people need to figure out eventually um, and it's and it's not an easy one to accept
1: Well, um speaking of making teammates better and um you had um you know three of the greatest basketball players ever as teammates Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman and um Tara Vanderveer, the Stanford women's coach, once spoke in my leadership class at stanford business school and she She mentioned that um the key to a great team was that the best player had to be the hardest worker and I remember seeing you and three three of your teammates being interviewed once about uh what it was like to to play with uh you know Michael Jordan and Scotty and Dennis every day, and you said the most amazing thing was how hard they worked every single day. Can you talk about what it was like to go to practice with those guys?
0: Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it was just kind of the tone that had been set uh, from the beginning with, with Jordan, at least from the beginning uh, when I arrived. Uh, Michael obviously was already, Michael, he had already won three titles and was the best player in the game, so when I got there, I was just thrilled to be a part of the team, but to watch him, to watch Scotty, who was a perennial all-star, uh, Dennis, who was a little out there but also a hard worker. Um, they just—they they really did set the uh, the climate of every day for our, our practice sessions. Um, in terms of just really competing and, and making sure they were bringing it every day, so it became a competition every day, and and that sort of competition. From your best players, kind of breathed it throughout the whole organization, and, and uh, so that became just part of the, the culture in Chicago. We we competed and got after it every single day, and I think that that really helped us to get where we needed to be in the end.
1: So I've got kind of a strange question for you. That um, you, you made a, um, a, a huge shot in the in Game Six of the nineteen ninety seven Finals um, to to clinch the game, but there was a shot, uh, I think a couple games earlier, where you had a three-pointer and you missed it. Um, And uh, I don't know if you remember the shot I'm talking about. You rebounded your own shot, and then what did you do? Do you remember that?
0: Yeah, yeah. I think it was game two uh, in in 97 in Utah, and I had an open three in transition in the final minute of the game. I think we were down two, and I pulled up, and it was short. I knew it was short immediately. And I chased after the ball and kind of read where it was heading and got the offensive rebound and uh, gave it to Michael Jordan, which was always a good choice. But he was uh, <laughs> he was open underneath the basket, and he went up and scored and got fouled and made the free throw and put it to head. So, uh, yeah, that was a very satisfying play, even though I wanted to make that shot uh, to stay after it and, and complete the play and still end up getting three points out of it uh, was was great.
1: Well, the, I, I didn't actually see that shot, but um, in reading about it, it, it sounded like it was a no-look pass to, to Michael Aaron. Um, you know, I think one of the reasons we developed this concept of the triple impact competitor, make yourself better, your teammates better, and the game better, is because there's so much glamorization of the individual in the NBA and, and other pro- professional sports as well. And I love that that play more than you're making the three-pointer because, uh, you 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 had the courage to take the shot, you stayed in the game. You didn't you know it's like oh I missed it. You went for the ball and then you you made a great pass. And that's that's the essence of uh, a team player in my mind.
0: Well, I, I uh, you know I hadn't really thought of it in those terms, but that sounds way better than the way I remember it. <laughs> I just think, <laughs> I I just remember missing the shot, thinking gosh I should have made it, but at least I saved myself and got the rebound. But Uh, You're right. There is kind of a metaphor in there in terms of, you know, accepting that failure and moving on and, and, uh, and continuing to play and ultimately being successful making another play. uh, That's an important aspect of basketball for sure is always moving ahead, moving forward to the next play.
1: So let me talk about three of the greatest coaches ever that you played for. Um, Lou Dolphin, who, like me, is from North Dakota, uh, Greg Popovich, and Phil Jackson. Um, all three great, very different individuals. How would you characterize each of them about what made them such great coaches?
0: Well, they were all different, uh, very different backgrounds and personalities, uh, but they had something in common Uh I think all three of them had incredible presence. Uh, they, they were very strong willed people and not only just conviction, but, uh, work ethic and, and, and will. Uh, and, and what I think what tied them together was for me was that, you know, as a player, I had so much respect for all of them because of their intelligence, because of their presence. And because of how much you know, they put into it and, and how much they wanted to win, and they were really easy leaders to follow as a result. But what it taught me playing for all three of them is that you, know, you can have a very different personality from one guy to the next. But if you, if a, if a coach carries the convictions that are important to him, and if he has great presence and he gains the respect of his players, uh, then he can be very successful. And, And we're talking about three Hall of Famers, ultimately. Popovich will be there before too long. Uh, So I was just really blessed to play for three of the greatest coaches of all time.
1: One of the things I I think about Phil, and I also think about Doc Rivers the same way, who's also a member of our National Advisory Board, Phil being our national spokesperson, um, is they seem to get the best out of all the players on their team, not just the not just the superstars, not the starters. Um, were, were, there, were there things that, that Phil and any of the others did that, that really helped you develop as a player?
0: Well, Phil always was willing to give guys chances. Um, and I mean like guys, you know, 8 through 12 on the bench. I always felt like most coaches in the NBA coached out of fear. And there was good reason for that because guys get fired every year. And so most coaches end up playing their top eight guys and they don't trust anyone else and, and they're so wrapped up and trying to hang on to their job that they lose sight of the uh the big picture for the 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 role players. And Phil actually sort of approached it the opposite way. He he knew that Michael and Scotty were gonna be great players regardless of what he did. So I think he spent more time coaching the rest of us in a lot of ways. And what he would do is he, he he made sure nobody got left out uh, every couple of weeks you knew you were going to get into a game uh, at a at an important time. He never let a guy go more than a, a you know a couple of weeks without getting him into the game and, and keeping him ready and And what that did was it prepared everyone for the playoff and if you look at the Bulls, there's a lot of players during that run uh, who you wouldn't think of who made big shots. Uh, around Michael Jordan, and and I always felt that's because Phil spent the whole regular season motivating and, and preparing his bench, and uh, so I was really lucky to to have that kind of coaching and nurturing uh, during my career.
1: Fantastic. Um, let me talk about your father, Malcolm Kerr, who was um, both a, a great thinker and a great leader. Um, what what was his influence on you as a person, as an athlete?
0: Well, uh, my dad was a professor at UCLA, a professor in political science, and uh, so he got me into basketball by taking me to the UCLA games. And We used to shoot around in my driveway, and, and I had uh, unconditional love and support from him, and he would come to all my games. and I have three siblings, and, and my mom and dad really did a great job of just supporting us in whatever we wanted to do. And I really came from a, more of an academic family. I was kind of the black sheep in some ways being, uh, the jock. But my dad loved watching me play. He loved, uh, coming to my games and he was a big sports fan. So we would watch sports on TV too. So he was, uh, he was my biggest fan, my biggest supporter. And, and, uh, he was a uh, big reason for me just having the chance to, to play sports and to, to develop, uh, into a basketball player
1: you know if my memory is correct he um he became the president of american university in in beirut lebanon at a time of uh, pretty i mean the middle east is is in uh upheaval a lot of the time but it was a very very uh dangerous time at that point and um you know did how, how did you how did you and your family feel about going there uh to live at that time well
0: uh yeah my dad took that job uh I believe it was about 1982, I was a junior in high school, and he had been born and raised in Beirut. Um, His parents were missionaries during World War I, Uh, Americans from the East Coast who decided to uh, do some work in Armenia, and they ended up traveling and ended up in Beirut, so my dad was actually born and raised there, went to American schools there, and and had a, a great love for the region, so... Getting the president's job was his dream come true. And I think uh, we all felt like everything was going to be fine. That, uh, um, you know, the danger that was there was really more, uh, involving military and, and government personnel. Usually the, you know, the university professors and and staff it was kind of spared from any sort of turmoil. So he went over there. Uh, I stayed in, uh, in Los Angeles with my mom to finish up my senior year uh, of high school, and then uh, and my dad and my mom and my younger brother ended up moving to Beirut the following year when I went off to uh, Arizona as a freshman.
1: Well, let me just say that um, I, I think he was a great man, and I'm really sorry that um, you know he he got assassinated there, and um, I'm sure that was a hard hard time for you.
0: Yeah, it was a terrible time it happened um in January of my freshman year. I was 18 years old. I got a phone call in the middle of the night from a family friend. Those were the days when it was a lot harder to to reach people. We didn't have cell phones, we didn't have the internet. And uh so my mom was was trying to get through to me. My dad had been fascinated by a couple of gunmen uh basically a, a political act of terrorism because my dad was the most prominent American in Beirut at the time. And, uh, yeah, devastating time for family. And, uh, you know, we I'm very proud of my siblings, my mom. You know, we were able to, to move ahead and move forward, and uh, we've all gone on and been pretty successful and, and stuck together, and we've got a great family. But, obviously, uh, you don't ever get over a, a tragedy like that.
1: Again, uh, a great man, and um, uh, sorry for your loss. Um, Thank you. Let me let me, let me uh, switch to current events now. Uh, the, I'm sure you followed the Richie Incognito, Jonathan Martin incident with the Miami Dolphins.
0: Um, mm-hmm.
1: Sure. How prevalent was hazing or bullying in your uh, college or NBA experience? Uh, I mean, some people have have made the the argument that Michael uh, Michael Jordan was hazing and bullying uh, his teammates?
0: Uh, I never felt like Michael was hazing us. Michael put a lot of pressure on us in practice to perform, but he was just getting us ready to compete uh, at the highest level. Uh, I never saw hazing, uh, any serious hazing. There was always good-natured hazing. When I was a rookie in Phoenix, I was one of five Rookies in every road trip, we had to carry the ball bag and the, uh, the video equipment and a couple of bags for some of the vets. We had to bring donuts into the locker room, and, and those are all things that rookies should do. Uh, that's all part of the fun. It's part of the initiation. Uh, but as far as anything you know, nasty or, or out of order, out of line, I never saw any of that. And that might be just the difference between basketball and football. I'm not sure. Uh, but I, I think there's uh, there's there's a certain kind of hazing, if you want to call it that, more of an initiation thing that, that's actually healthy that, that players need to go through.
1: You were uh, for about three years you were general manager of the Phoenix Suns, um, and I'd love to have you talk about the challenges you faced as that kind of a leader, and compare it with uh, the challenges you face of being a Know, a top-notch TV analyst
0: well there's no comparison uh, you know being in the television business you really are only responsible for yourself um, it, it, you know your crew is is with you in the truck um, in the booth uh, but you know that you don't you're not responsible for anybody else's uh, role you're, you're just part of the team when you're a general manager uh you you really you feel responsible for an entire organization, and for me, the basketball operations included you know 25, 30 employees and I felt like I had to stay on top of of everything every single day and when things didn't go right or go well, I felt responsible and so there was much more stress involved, um, but also more satisfaction, more personal relationship, more teamwork uh more ups and downs but uh, in a lot of ways uh you know more uh fulfilling than than the t v role
1: do you ever see yourself going back to that kind of a position
0: i don't see myself uh going back to management but i i do see myself coaching i've always felt like more of a coach than a general manager anyway uh i love working with players and i love the game and the, the coaching in the n b a is a is a distinct possibility for me, especially once my youngest son, Matthew, who's fifteen, uh moves on to college and is out of the house, and I think that may be a time when I try to take the next step in my career.
1: Um, I know you know Chris Grant who's the general manager of the Cavaliers and he's actually a big supporter of Positive Coaching Alliance movement also and um he came up through uh as a video intern and um I've I've uh read about other uh, head coaches who spent a lot of time watching video. Um, It seems like your experience as a TV analyst um, could really be helpful as a coach.
0: Oh, I think so. Uh, I think it was really important for me to step away from the game uh, as a player and be able to take in a different perspective, uh, which I did for four years as as an analyst before I left for uh, Phoenix as, as the GM. Uh, and now I've been back at Turner for three more years, but uh, yeah, I I, I think uh, team a game as an analyst forces you to think like a coach. Uh, it allows us opportunities to visit with the coaches before every game, so I've learned a lot from people like Doc Rivers and Jeff Van Gundy and Rick Carlisle, Rick Popper, really, you know, great coaches um, who share with us a lot of knowledge, and uh, but it's been a really fun job, and, and one that I think has helped prepare me for for a coaching gig, if that's the, the route I go. Although, I don't think there's anything that can prepare you like the real thing uh, in any position in life. And I think that's, uh, you know, regardless, it will be a transition period if I get into coaching.
1: Well, I wish you luck for that, Um let me ask you about being a sports parent. you got got um, your son in high school and a son playing basketball at San Diego State and a daughter at Cal, or University of San Diego, I'm sorry. Um, what advice do you have for, you know, the thousands and thousands of sports parents out there about uh, how to how to help your kids uh, navigate the world of sports? Well, you
0: support them uh... And you guide them, but, but you don't tell them what to do. You don't fight their battles. I think that's the biggest problem that I see out there, uh, in youth sports is when a kid's not playing, parent goes to the coach and complains that my kid should be playing. Um, I think that's the worst thing you can do for your kid, uh, or the little league dad who's, uh, whose kid is up at bat with a one, two count. He's yelling in, from the stands, you know, keep your left elbow in or flat your back, whatever it is. You just can't coach your kid through all these moments. That's what the coach is for, uh, but that's also what experience is for. And I found uh, my kids really flourished by me taking them to the game and and cheering for them, but just keeping my mouth shut for the most part and letting them play. And and when they wanted to talk, I knew they wanted to talk because they would come to me, uh, but I didn't want to smother them and. And pressure them. I wanted them to love the game on their own terms and I think that's, for me anyway, the best approach. Uh, I, I saw a great uh, 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN, I think, on the uh, Manning family and I thought Archie Manning had some incredible comments about being a being a dad once his kids got to college in the NFL and I, I'd like to think my approach is like Archie. you know, support them and, and be there, but uh, if you're not their coach, you know. They have to figure a lot of things out on their own and fight a lot of their own battles. And it's better for them in the long run.
1: That's fantastic, Steve. I really appreciate your um, your time today and your support of the Positive Coaching Alliance movement. Uh, can I just ask you why you agreed to join uh, PCA's National Advisory Board?
0: Yeah, I just feel it's important for uh, for people uh, or involved in sports and and, and coaching of any aspect to, uh, to, to like it, like in anything else in life, just to get better and to search for ways to improve their craft and, uh, better for the kids. It's better for the adults. And in the end, what it's about is, uh, trying to help, uh, growth in, in young kids and trying to help them along in life. And, uh, obviously not just in sports, but, uh, In the the big picture of life PCA is I I think Helping uh, a lot of people Accomplish that
1: Well Steve uh, Thanks for a great Insightful uh, interview today And there will be lots of Our coaches, parents and athletes Out there who will get a lot Out of that And uh, thank you for your support And best of luck
0: Well, I appreciate it Jim And thanks for having me
1: Okay take care now Thanks for joining us On this episode of PCA one on one Make sure to visit
0: positivecoach.org to download more podcasts